well, the thing about nude baptisms is it really, everything left the imagination. <laughs> it really does ratchet up the importance of making sure that water is heated. Yes. Alright, welcome to Fun Sexy Bible Time. Hi, I'm Matthew and I am the host and with me today is Rich Cook. Rich, say hi to people. Hi, people. Rich is the other half of Theology After Dark. I mean, we, we probably shouldn't call him the other half. We could say he is, he is the, you want to be the first half of Theology After Dark, Rich? Can we build you that way? I'm in, I'm an equal half. You're an I'm equal a... half, okay. I was trying to be nice, but he took the, uh, <laughs> he took the egalitarian route. Uh, Rich and uh, Jake Goff, who is uh, on episode one, uh, they do a podcast called Theology After Dark. Um, Really good, really funny. They're currently on hiatus right now. Um, But you can find their stuff. It's on iTunes, all the same places you can find Fun Sexy Bible Time. Highly recommend it. Rich, we have a lot to do today, don't we? We've got a lot to get through. A lot of important topics is that it, need covered. Is it a stretch to say that we will, in fact, redefine Christianity itself? I mean, redefine it, explode it, make it into something entirely new. Yeah. You know, the way it was meant to be. Um, I feel pretty good that this will be the, the finest podcast that's ever been recorded. I it's, it's tough. You, you gotta. You especially have a very good lineup. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm on the shoulders of giants right now. Uh, well, speaking of shoulders of giants, could you defeat a wolf in hand-to-hand combat, Rich Cook? Oh, so I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I know that my co-host Jake spent a lot of time redirecting the question to feline aggressors, uh, and I understand his his thought process in that because there's a lot more weapons at, at hand there but with a wolf specifically I want to I want to stay on topic because this is an important topic mm-hmm. um, if it's if it's just a wolf by itself I think we've got pretty good odds okay you know and, uh, uh, walk me through this what is your strategy when you are fighting a wolf in hand-to-hand combat right so there's are there weapons whatsoever or is it just it's Bare knuckle boxing. It's, it's just Mano E Canine. Mano E Canis. Canis. Huh. Okay. Um, so it's typically with a bigger opponent, you want to take out their legs. Um, with a wolf, they're very low to the ground, and that's going to be a lot harder to do. I think you. I think your best bet is to somehow like the neck or the spine, like to disable it to get to get a good crack in there and really like try to put it down as quickly as possible. Yeah. wouldn't necessarily have to go for the kill. Just if a wolf, I guess I should have said this in the beginning. If a wolf attacked you. Right. And you, and How you to def- survive. You defended yourself to the point where it ran off. That would be considered a, a victory for rich cook. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if we're just trying to get scared off, um, yeah, as, as many, uh, a flurry of punches to the face as, as quickly as would possible. Would you go to ground against the wolf or would you try to stay upright? I think you got to stay upright, man. I think you. I think if you're on the ground, the wolf has the advantage. Uh huh. For sure. Mm-hmm. Right, because you can't like crawl around as quickly. 
as a wolf can. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like like I don't know how much damage a wolf is going to be able to do to your extremities. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the you know I mean it could bite you, but I mean we're not talking like a lion here. I mean a wolf is essentially a really big dog. I mean it's not going to tear your leg off. Yeah, it's going to draw blood, but it's not going to rip you limb from limb yeah. immediately. I mean, I feel like if you can protect your neck and your face, mm-hmm. you, you're in pretty good shape with a wolf. So do you give it like a, if that's the case, you give it like a, a limb? Do you give it an arm or an ankle or something to chew on to distract it so that you can get your, your hits in them? Is that <sighs> is that a strategy? I mean, which limb would you give it? I don't know. Um, you're thinking left leg, aren't you? I'm thinking left. Well, I, I'm left-handed, oh, okay. so, so not that it affects my legs whatsoever. But uh, so yeah, you give it your. Leg. Would you give it your right arm so you could punch it with your left arm? Yeah, I think that's. I think that's the go-to. Would you? Right, s- and that puts that puts its its face at at like arm's length. You know, if you had long sleeves on and you weren't worried about getting bit through the sleeves, could you use this strategy against a zombie? Ooh. Would you give well, a zombie like? Would you tie up a zombie with your right arm so you could punch it with your left? As seeing as you're left-handed, I would. I think that's a pretty good go-to. If as long as you're positive, there's no way the zombie is going to bite through yeah. whatever material you have on your arm because that's a possibility at all. That's it's, such it's a game. Such a game changer with the zombies. It is, but zombies I think have less weapons at their disposal than a wolf. Even I don't know. What if it was? What if it was a zombie wolf? Oof. That's definitely a game changer because then you can't, then you can't concede any flesh wound at that point. Right? Yeah, none. You can't get scratched or bitten or whatever. But if so you, that in this in the zombie genre of of the world, and we might get to this later on. But the one thing that's always thrown me off a little bit is is why aren't all of the animals on Earth also zombies? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe because the zombies are sort of clumsy typically and they wouldn't be able to catch the animals you think that's right i don't know i I, can we backtrack just for a second if if you you got bit by a zombie wolf would you turn into a zombie or would you turn into a werewolf well is it a zombie werewolf or just a zombie wolf it's a zombie well that's the distinction yeah i guess so i guess you just if you just get bitten by a wolf you don't get you don't turn into a wolf right well, I mean, down here in Alabama, you know, we... you do have a different breed of animal down there. <laughs> yeah, it's similar to Florida, where every everything that exists down there is exists to murder you. Yeah, Florida's oh, Florida's Florida's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we got to do shoutouts. We forgot to do shoutouts. Okay. Shoutouts. Uh, I'm gonna do a random shout out to a. Uh, how about a random shout out to a, a random Twitter follower, um, Rachel Hoym, H O Y M E Hoym or Hoymy. Anyway, she's a rabid North Carolina fan, and uh, so last night was kind of a bad night for her. And I was just sort of mm-hmm. like on Twitter and just sort of like watching her go from like the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And uh, yeah, hopefully she's okay. Hopefully she made it through the night. So, a random shout out to you, Rachel Holm. Yeah. Rachel, if you're listening, it gets better. It gets better. Can we give a shout out to Rachel's Twitter handle? Her her last name is H O Y M E, and her Twitter handle is Miso Hoimi. <laughs> and I just got to say, that is tremendous hustle. 
That. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> he's so hoy me. That's, that's perfection. I don't know. I, I have nothing else to say to that. I, I don't either. All right, you got a shout out? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, I will. I will shout out to chocolate covered peanut butter pretzels. Um, total a, game changer. That's a strong shout out. It is. Have you have you had these? Yes, I have. All right, so that, that's good to know, Matthew. Um, the the regular the peanut butter pretzels are excellent on their own, mm-hmm. and then somebody went and they dipped them in chocolate, and my mouth and body exploded. And clarifying, it's perfection. clarifying question: Can you recreate that sensation by eating one peanut butter M M&M and M and one pretzel M M&M? and M? together no not at all the pretzel minims especially are really disappointing i think okay they just taste like a styrofoam ball covered in chocolate mm. okay agree or disagree matthew this is an important question <sighs> i mean mostly agree i mean i'm not above eating them i mean let's not no no, no. Far. neither am i no you know it's not that dramatic but i mean it's not exactly the full pretzel experience i will I will concede right. that point. Yeah, you want the full salty sweet. Mm-hmm. There's something about like chocolate, like milk chocolate on a candy bar or whatever is different than the hard candy shell, the M&M. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of things that are awesome, can I do a shout out to Craig Cavanis? Craig Cavanis. Yeah, I mean, we can't have a podcast where we don't do a shout out to Craig Cavanis. Shout out to Craig Cavanis. Probably an excellent point guard. Probably the best point guard. I mean, and not just the point guard that comes down the floor and just like tosses the ball and just stands there. I mean, Craig Cabanis is going to penetrate to set up shots for you. Mm. And he will get you the ball in scoring situations. That's what make, makes Craig Cabanis probably an elite point guard. It's not just a great baller on his own, but he is a great team player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Craig Cavanis, his hair most likely smells naturally of cinnamon. Mm. How do you do it? I don't know, but he is he is a treasure. A national treasure. Do you have any Craig Cavanis shout-outs for us? Uh, uh, I mean, you and Craig go way back. Let's not we go way back, and so there's a lot of things we could talk about here with me and Craig. Um but the one time I was I was out, I was swimming in the ocean. I, I tend not to go out further than where I can see my feet, which isn't very far in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I venture out a little too far, and I was attacked by a shark. And Craig Cavanis jumped in with no regard for his own life. And he punched that shark in the face until it released me. And, and he pulled me single-handedly on his back to safety to the shore. And he performs CPR, even though I didn't need it. He's just that kind of guy. He takes it all the way. I mean, is it fair, then, is it fair to say he is, in fact, the original Renaissance man? I, that's the, the fairest statement I've ever heard. Yeah. Craig Cavanis, we love you. We love you on Fun Sexy Bible Time. All right, Rich, another very important topic we need to talk about today is what are your favorite video games regardless of era and console. So we've had a tough time with this, Matthew. Uh, I've I've talked about this a little bit. You have a list of five, is this correct? Uh, Yes, I do. 
Okay. So my list, I thought we were doing a list of 10, and then I was like, I can narrow it down to five, and then I got down to eight. And really, I've got, I still have 10 because I have two that are like slashes. How many, so. of, <laughs> how many of your lists are the Christian-themed Nintendo games from the early 90s? Uh, none of them, actually. <laughs> you, yeah. you don't they have, were all pretty awful. You don't have Bible adventures on your list? I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. I might. Now I have 12. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have Exodus on your... <laughs> those, are, those are truly some horrible, horrible Nintendo games. Oh, did, I'm assuming that you were forced to play those growing up. I can neither confirm nor deny Anyway, I am breaking you off of your of, of your monologue here. Go continue on with your list. No, it's all right. Um, okay, so I'll try to I'll try to make it quick. I don't want to draw this out any longer. You can jump in if you have any anything to add. Okay. But so at at number eight is a is kind of a tie between a, just a classic the the Contra game from the eighties uh, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Clarification. Uh, are you yes. playing Contra with or without the Game Genie? Because that sucker was impossible to beat without the Game Genie. Without them, this is the arcade. Oh, Contra, the arcade. Okay. The ar- yeah, was that was the first game I think I ever played at like an, ar- an arcade. I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay. Went through a lot of quarters on that guy. Um, I think that you almost have to play with someone in that setup to be able to get all the way through. Um, I'm not sure I ever actually beat it on on the arcade console, but. Uh, and then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game is very similar. It's that side-scrolling type. And so uh, the, the Turtles in Time game specifically was the one I was thinking of. Mm. But it's uh, just classic, classic uh, games. Turtle so, of choice. What is your turtle of choice? I was always a Leonardo guy. Okay. You know? yeah, I was but too. I think, that's, I think it's an easy out. I don't know. Can we talk about Raphael really got jobbed when they were handing out the weapons? <laughs> like, what are you going to do with those little forks? Uh, I don't know. I mean, have you, like, who else has it? Like, Electra uh, in the from the Daredevil universe has the has the forks as well. The I mean, size. I mean, even Donatello, like his his weapon isn't sharp or even deadly, but I mean, you can do some damage with the bow staff, especially. Staff. You know, you don't even have to be. Raphael's got to like be standing next to somebody. To That's fight. true. Well, you can throw them. I think they're typically thrown weapons, but I don't know. Yeah, it, I thought they were pretty cool. That was always a weapon that I never truly understood, like you said. But I think if you could master those, you would truly be like he was probably the best martial arts expert, uh, right? Well, he's, he was the he was the hothead. I mean, he got a certain amount yeah. of that from his rage. It's true. But, I mean, yeah, truly, in, in any kind of fighting technique, I think rage is the thing. We learned that from the dark side. Mm. You gotta... Yeah, I was a Leonardo guy myself, and then I started, re- like, my kids started watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it really made me question why I was a Leonardo guy, because that guy is, like, the biggest buzzkill in uh-huh. the cartoon. Was he? Yeah. I have not watched it recently. Yeah, what, but... So what's he do? Like, what, well, he like, the, you know, there'll be... Uh, getting ready to have a party or something and then Leonardo will just walk in and be like guys we need to be practicing our martial arts like Master Splinter said oh yeah and it's like geez Leonardo I mean you're friggin teenage turtle like lighten up man (laughs) just eat some pizza and chill out yeah chill out alright 
So that's number eight. <laughs> uh, okay. Did you did you ever play games like on a computer, like PC games? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you ever hear of the King's Quest franchise? Yes. Yes, I okay, have. so I played a lot of that growing up on the PC. Uh, so starting with number one, I think I had like a pack, like an, and so I had like one through six, and then I played seven later on in life. I think they've continued to make a few more, but the the King's Quest franchise was hours and hours of entertainment for me. As Rich, a kid. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, King's Quest does not sound like something you're going to do a lot of when you're dating. No, no, there was not a lot of dating happening. It does not seem to be, you know. I I was I was never much the ladies' man. I, got <laughs> uh, I was not homeschooled, but probably indistinguishable dating life from yourself. Well, Rich, I was pretty popular with the ladies, as you know. So uh, sadly, I cannot identify with that statement. Uh, oh no! Okay, I'm all by myself, just a lonely weirdo playing King's Quest. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that's, I mean, there's not much more to say about that. A lot of, a lot of fun there. Number six, I will say, I'm going to, let's call it, uh, let's go with Halo for number six. Okay. Um, and, the, and the classic Halo, maybe Halo 2. Uh, so this was this is reminiscent of just college. Um, I don't really enjoy it. I never enjoyed playing by myself. I never really enjoyed the, the storyline of it. But I have all these fond memories of, like, stringing cables between uh, dorm rooms and, and playing online with, I guess it's online, I don't know, playing <laughs> uh, with with everybody in the dorm and just like having these massive Halo parties that lasted for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. I was never great at it, but that's there's some nostalgia with that. Uh, do, you, do you have any Halo? I never got into Halo, no. Never got into Halo? No, I was, I missed the Halo experience. Yeah, well, you're going to have that. Okay. And so number five, I will call, I'll say, Grand Theft Auto, the the original one. Rich, Are, I don't, this, is a, this, is a Christ, <laughs> this is a Christian podcast, Rich. I not think. the newer ones, not the not so much of the, the hooker stuff and all that. But, like, right at the first one that was actually, like, three-dimensional, the first sandbox world one mm-hmm. where you're just running around. Um, and then I think... You was, were witnessing to the hookers in that game, weren't you? Well, so here's the thing. I never did any of the plot lines. I never did any, like, basically I had a buddy in high school, like, starting freshman year, and he, he got, he always had the newest games, and he got Grand Theft Auto right when it first came out. And we would just, we would take turns, and you would we would get as quickly as possible, you had to get as many stars as possible and stay alive as long as possible. Oh. And that was the only, that was the game for us. So I don't even know what the entire, what the game is about, what the plot is, uh, but I spent hours in my early high school years just racking up stars and trying to stay alive. I mean, that kind of sounds like the justifications of a sinful mind. Oh, I mean, that's my just... entire life is the justifications <laughs> of a sinful mind. So <laughs> that's, there's that. I'll move on to number four being the Zelda franchise. Some of King's Quest, yeah, just hours and hours of you know. And I'm the guy that has to open every single chest and look in every single nook and cranny and find every you know whatever. So Zelda took me quite a while, uh, and then it's a toss up of best of. I'll go with uh, an early one, A Link to the Past. I think from '91. Just my mind exploded in that moment, like when I played that. I'm just this, this, all of this world exists. I can do all these things. 
Uh, and I think probably the best Zelda game of all time is the Ocarina of Time. Uh, that was that was late 90s, almost. I'm trying to remember. Right before I went to high school, probably. So there's that. Well, I don't remember that one, Rich. I was, I was dating a lot of babes. <laughs> dating know? a lot of babes. <laughs> <laughs> during that time <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, okay and let's see number three I'll go between it's a, it's a toss up between two games that were very similar in gameplay came out around the same time uh, God of War and okay. Devil May Cry both very pagan sounding games both very <laughs> was God of War about Pat Robertson it was, it yeah. It was Pat Robertson, and he was going to war against uh, the liberals, <laughs> and you just ran around with the Bible, and would smack liberals in the face, and they blew up, yeah, into clouds of white guilt. Right? They just <laughs> dissipated into clouds of guilt, <laughs> like a fine mist of like progressivism. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So those were two kind of they were like third-person shooters, I guess is what you would call them. Uh, God of War was more like swords and uh, axes and that kind of stuff, and Devil May Cry was more handguns and projectiles. Mm. And so really enjoyed those two. That was like end of high school, beginning of college years. Spent a lot of time playing those two. Uh, number two, I'll go with Mortal Kombat Classic, just the whole franchise uh, from from beginning to end. I, I still play on my phone uh, Mortal Kombat X a little bit, the tenth one. Did you hang on to Mortal Kombat through like the like the moral panic of the nineties, like when people were like when the church was like freaking out about it? With Mortal Kombat, I mean, I know a lot of things the church freaked out about, but I don't remember that one exactly. Yeah, it's, just... it's definitely I get it. <laughs> Lots of blood and skin and stuff that shouldn't be happening, but. Yeah, there was like a rumor going on in my church that like there was a secret code you could put in that <laughs> there were a lot of rumors going on in my church. They would release Satan, but no, that like it was a like there was a, a secret code you could put in that like would make you like molest the other player. Like if <laughs> oh. Oh. I'm sure if that existed, I probably would have figured it out as a as a middle schooler. <laughs> So no, I was not allowed to play Mortal Kombat. So molestality. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think God of War Pat Robertson would approve that. No. Okay. Uh, and the number one, I think of all time, uh, the Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim, which is, I mean, a lot of people go nostalgic for number one. Uh, I this is a newer game. I think 2013 it came out. But just it's the combination of all these things I've talked about, um, this giant sandbox world. You can do whatever you want, uh, spend you know as much time as you want, incredible graphics, uh, incredible storyline, and just quest after quest after quest. You can get lost for hours. Uh, and, and this, too, is a faith-based game, correct? Faith-based. Uh, if your faith is in dragons and magic, yes. <laughs> At the end of the game, you realize that God, in fact, is not dead. Right. <laughs> that song just is the easy the entire soundtrack you, you play for 36 hours straight listening to god's not dead and you believe it by the end of it it becomes a reality Ooh. amen brother 
All right, so I'm sure that your list is much, much different. But uh, yeah, I was a little bit before you, so yeah. um, I, I will agree with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I, I will say it was the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. Okay. Yes. And that mm-hmm. was that was huge because you could play like all, all four turtles at the same time. Uh huh. And that was like that was that was mind blowing to go to the to the like the roller skating rink, mm-hmm. and th- there'd just be like lines like for all four. All four turtles would be like lines of like three and four kids waiting mm-hmm. to get on, and uh, it was just you know it was crazy to see four people playing at the same time. I, you know, I'd never seen that before, so that was that was a game changer. Right, the the ability to bond over video games, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. that really started then. Which is uh, that's where the the Halo thing for me, uh, yeah, like you make it making it a communal event because usually video games are so much you standing by yourself in front of the TV. Yeah, so I'm gonna go college football '97 for the nice. Sega, for the Sega Genesis. Um, I. I did have trouble with this game though because there were cheerleader graphics. Ah, uh, caused you to stumble. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> like if you scored like a touchdown, it would show like a brief clip of like pixelated cheerleaders dancing. <laughs> and like I, like I really, like at that point in my life, like I didn't know like what a female belly button looked like. Ooh, so that navel gets you every time. <laughs> it was, it was it's just a big pixel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is that eight bit or sixteen bit? Oh, sixteen bit. Oh yeah, sixteen bit. So there was a there was a little a, bit more definition in there. Yeah. It was sort of a theological gray zone, and maybe you can help me with this. But is it possible to lust after a video game graphic like that if it's not a real person? I think absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I might have disagreed with you in 1997 <laughs> for the sake of the game. <laughs> NES play action football for the Nintendo. Perfect. Yeah. Mm, that was that was my first sports game. That was that was a big one. But I'll go straight to the top of my list and just and just tell you that Mario Brothers two. Okay. That, that's the number one for me. And see, I debated including Mario or not because it's a it's a great franchise and there's a lot out there and a lot of people love it. Um, it just I was never as into it as anybody else. It seemed like like I would play it, but it just wasn't. It didn't capture me the same way as some other stuff did. So, yeah. Well, the trick of Mario too is is you know you you don't just get to be Mario every single time. You have to pick which character mm-hmm. that you're going to be for each stage, and each character has different abilities. So you had to kind of like keep like a, a map in your mind of you know, do I need Luigi for this level? Do I need the princess for this level? Sure. And, uh, so it added a, a level of skill to it. And if you ever picked the wrong one, you were just kind of screwed for that level. And uh, I think that's... you'd have to blow through all of your lives and go straight to the continue before you could, <laughs> before you could change back to whichever character you needed. So strategy that's definitely the number one. All right, yeah. Uh, speaking of Mario Brothers, Rich Cook, does anybody really have more sex than Christian couples? <sighs> speaking of Mario Brothers. What's the? That's a good segue. Uh, <laughs> does anybody have more sex than Christian couples? So I, with consistency, probably not. Right? I mean, like people. There's probably people that are hooking up more frequently. But if you're in that hookup culture, it's it's really night to night, hit and miss. What's you know? But I think that Christians 
over the years, you know, if you're having your whatever regular scheduled Friday night sex with your, your spouse, whatever, uh, then, you know, after 20 years, you, you've got that weekly thing going on and somebody, you know, who maybe has hooked up with a different girl or a different guy every night for the last, you know, this week, but then they have a few dry spells and they're off for these weeks. Like, I think the consistency of Christian couples makes it, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, maybe... It's I a mean, numbers game. It's a numbers game. I mean, haven't you felt like any of, like, the non-Christian or even Christian friends, like, that were having sex, like, when you were younger and would sort of brag about it? Like, don't you feel like you've lapped those people already? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, if you if you go with, like, the standard evangelical average of once a week, I mean, like you said, that adds up pretty quickly. And I just feel like, you know, if, if you're if you're still playing the hookup game, that's just a ton of work to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say all the time, you know, I, I probably similar to you, I got married young, and I can't fathom the dating game right now. Like, the... Yeah. <laughs> not, none of it is appealing whatsoever. Do you have a tally, by the way? Do you keep a tally? A tally of, of what? Of, of just oh, in general? No, of uh, how many times you've had sanctified sex. Oh. Uh, and I did. I mean, like, year one, probably. But, yeah, I mean, you lose count. Yeah, I mean, but you, you just have, like, a ballpark idea, right? I mean... It's it's okay to just say, hey, you know, I'm in the I'm in the eight hundreds or I'm in the I'm in the nine hundreds. I mean, there's three hundred sixty five days a year <laughs> multiplied by how many years of marriage. But the pregnancies really throw a kink in it too. It does, yeah. It, it skews your numbers, your stats a little bit. It's like the off season now, I guess. Yeah. Right. I feel like this should be like a youth group strategy of like for youth pastors because, you know, kids these days, you know, they're watching you know, before youth group starts, they're watching porn on their iPhones and, you know, sexting one another. The youth pastors? No, just the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this should be a youth, like a youth pastor strategy just to walk up and say, hi, I've had sex 917 <laughs> times. Sanctified God honoring sex. I've had sanctified sex 917 times and I'm only 32. If you think you can beat that out in the world, go for it. But I'm here to tell you today, you will never have more sex than if you do it God's way. Mm-hmm. Amen. I, look, Amen. At 16, I would have... <laughs> not that there were... Crawled into a shame hole. <laughs> no, no, I would have been all for that. I would have been down with that. But, yeah. But, you know, at 16, it's not like there were girls lined up, you know, trying to lead me off the... <laughs> trying to lead me off the path. I, I get it. I get it. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Mm. could you imagine a better pastor than ron swanson a better pastor uh i don't i don't think so no ron swanson would be pretty much your quintessential guy i mean he could could... how short would the sermons be if ron swanson was the pastor (laughs) yeah you would be in and out you would never you would always beat the baptist to lunch for sure uh because it would be Believe the gospel. Would he go like 15 minutes or would he just go like even shorter than that? I think shorter, yeah. He's a pretty concise guy. He's not known for his, his long-winded speeches. You think he'd be like a five-minute sermon? I think a five-minute, yeah. Because he, he definitely have an outline. 
but I just feel like he'd sort of read the outline like bullet points and wouldn't yeah. really elaborate on any of them. No, yeah. You're, if you're not smart enough to figure it out, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, what denomination would Ron Swanson be? That's a tricky one. It is tricky. So I was trying to, I think the way to get to that, the answer to that is to look, to think about what style of worship would best complement Ron Swanson. <laughs> and I don't know, because it's not, it's definitely not the, you know, the really emotional, touchy-feely, uh, you know, like modern praise and worship, CCM. Uh, so it's, it might be like high church liturgy. It might be, it might just be like the very stripped down acoustic guitar kind of stuff. Right. I could, I could see him like well, process of elimination. He's not going to be charismatic. He's not going to be charismatic. I don't think he's going to stand for any of that stuff. No. Um, I, I just don't really see him as a Baptist either, despite his love of meat. Mm-hmm. I just I don't really see him fitting with the Baptists because Baptists can be sort of long-winded sometimes, and Baptists are really into church. And I think Ron just kind of wants to get it over with and get out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like maybe Church of Christ. I could see him Church of Christ. I could see him as like an angry Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? You think he's definitely going to be on the works side. Like he's not going to be, I guess we can take the uh, like the grace people out of it. He's not going to be in, big into grace. He'll be on the works side of justification. Yeah, I think that's true. Absolutely. I don't think he's going to be preaching out of Romans as much as he'll be preaching out of James. <laughs> I think I think James is probably his go-to book for mm-hmm. sermons. Yeah, I think he would like because everything's simple, straightforward. Like he probably would like Leviticus as much as anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the I think Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon would probably confuse him. Too artsy, yeah. to a large degree. Yeah, uh, but I th- yeah, and but the history, the straightforward stuff, the you know, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, like where it's this happened and this happened, a lot of battles like that. I think that would be stuff you'd be into. Would he be a red letter guy? One of these guys that's just like let's just concentrate on the things Jesus said. I don't know. I feel I don't know if Ron Swanson, as if he was a real person, I'm not sure how much, even if he was a pastor, how much he would be into Jesus in general, you know? Yeah. Like, eh. See, like, uh, I think he's, I see him as more of an Old Testament guy, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I can see him being a red letter guy to some degree of like, let's just cut out everything but the bare minimum of what Jesus said to do. That's true, yeah. I, I feel like the... that would sort of complement his libertarian streak. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I, I mean, this dude is not going to get along with Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Like, no. the red letter guys are just going to rub him the wrong way. Yeah, I think that's it's going to be a tough to, to meld those two worlds. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, which, which, like, theologian Ron Swanson would get along with. I think he'd get along with, I don't know, maybe Al Mohler. You think he'd get along with Al Mohler? Oh, no, I think he, Al Mohler's too uh, too suit and tie, too formal, I think. Yeah, Al Mohler's uh, against drinking beer, too. That's, I guess yeah, that. that's going to rule him out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's any modern guys. I mean, he he wouldn't stand for, like, a Driscoll. He, I mean, that, I think he's a punk <laughs> kid. Uh, Osteen is out. <laughs> Osteen is out, yeah, completely. He would punch Osteen in the face, I think. Uh, 
Can we say that he would probably hang out with the exegeticals version of Franklin Graham? Yes, they would be best friends. <laughs> never acknowledge it, never hug, but they would be best friends. Just through nods and subtle looks. Uh, uh, I think he would, yeah, Franklin Graham, exegetical version, and uh, the Puritans, I think, would be <laughs> his, his people. All right, speaking of Puritans, why has there not been a Christian horror movie yet? Absolutely. I I mean, some of them, like I think Left Behind tried really hard. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they were trying or not, but I think it ends up being a pretty horrifying story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that like the last step of Revelation is that there will be faith-based horror movies and then Jesus returns? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> I it? mean, the, the end of Revelation where, you know, there's there's blood up to the horse's bridle and Jesus is, is dripping with blood and so, I mean, all that stuff like that. That's that's a horror movie. Hmm. So, what, what would a Christian horror movie look like? Yeah. Uh, so, I I love horror in general, Matthew. And hopefully, I, th- I think that's why you brought this up. I think you you knew this about me from <laughs> theology after dark discussions. But in uh, in my contention, I think that pretty much all horror movies really are Christian movies deep down, like more so even than actual faith based movies. Hmm. I have a whole theory about this. Uh, so with the idea, every every horror story starts off in some kind of a, a beautiful, idyllic setting. You know, you have your Elm Street, you have your Camp Crystal Lake. Um, you know, this place where everybody's young and happy and sun shining and birds are singing and things are beautiful. You have a creation account, an Eden, if you will. And then you have the introduction of the, the monster, the serial killer, the, the whatever, the destructive force. The evil comes into that idyllic setting and threatens everything. And then you have this this final girl. You have this unlikely hero all the way through who, you know, the whole time you're like, ah, she wouldn't survive or that's not going to happen or everybody's making these really dumb choices. But then you have this unlikely hero who emerges beaten and bloody at the end of it and conquers the evil to overcome and then kill the the evil thing and restore peace and tranquility to the world if there weren't if every horror movie didn't set itself up for a sequel where the monster like popped his head back up at the end um it would be the entire gospel story like that's i think horror really captures that do you agree or disagree i am blown away by the uh, <laughs> the level of detail and that i've tangent. spent way too much time thinking about this yeah have you have you this is important have you have you have you addressed this with your wife have you told this theory to your wife what does she say mm-hmm. No, I, I keep most things from <laughs> She prefers not to hear. <laughs> I can identify with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Um, okay. I, per, personally, I, I, I go back to my idea for a Christian horror movie of The Front Hugger. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, a guy in a church, and he goes in to side hug people, and then at the last moment, he gives them a front hug. Ah. Uh. And it's like the, like the Jaws music playing yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's creeping up. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, that's terrifying. It is. I, it's making me uncomfortable. Like I'm <laughs> clenching my hands just thinking about it. And then there's like a, uh, then like the church has to hold like a meeting of like who's gonna tell the like who's gonna be the one to like go tell the front hugger that he can't front hug the women in the church because he's squishing their lady blessings. And they have to draw straws. And then, like, at the last one, like, it's the pastor's son that draws the straw. <laughs> and he's, like, quivering because he's so afraid of going to talk to the front hugger. 
And then, like, at the last moment, you get, like, a, a scene, like, ripped from Armageddon. Like, where the pastor, like, grabs his son in the hallway and, like, switches straws with him. And is like, no, I'll do this. You have too much oh. to live for. And then the pastor, oh, like, good. walks in, like, to the, to the, uh, like, the sanctuary, knowing that he has to confront the front hugger. That's powerful. That would... <laughs> Starring Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Starring Nick Cage. Always, always as the pastor. And the pastor's son would definitely have to be played by uh, your boy Shia, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> and um, the uh, the front hugger would be Gary Busey. Ooh, that's that's perfectly cast, right there. It's done. I think we should just submit the script <laughs> to TBN. You think TBN would run this? Uh, maybe. Jan is, the, is the no front hugging rule is that have you ever heard that like explicitly like outside of youth group has that ever been explicitly stated like or is it just an, an implicit rule no i think it's all implicit it's all implicit yeah it's interesting yeah because um, then it gets then it gets kind of weird like if you have to legislate it because right then like are, are women not allowed to front hug other women like you know mm-hmm. are dudes not supposed to front hug other dudes but I think that that whole thing would be interesting. Like that adds layers of nuance to this entire this horror movie because you've got it's an unspoken thing, and you've got a, you've got people trying to figure out how to make it all fit together. Like you know he doesn't maybe he doesn't know maybe we need to explain it to him. But you know should we if we say it is it going to be too legalistic and mm. how, how do we make it all work? Yeah, yeah. And then you've got like then you've got different levels to it too of like well what if there's like an older lady in the church that's front hugging everyone, mm. you know, and then you're gonna let her, are you gonna let her by with that because then you're saying that she's not a, a sexual threat or a sexual. Yeah. Well, her lady blessings aren't in the same place they used to be, so front hugs are not. As... I don't really understand that, Rich. Can you explain that, please? I don't sure. I'm not sure I understand it myself. Um, yeah, uh, we'll edit that out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Okay, probably the most important thing we got to talk about today is something that I, I went ahead and leaked out on the Fun Sexy Bible Time Twitter. Mm-hmm. And if you're not following us on Twitter, it's a, at FS Bible Time. Rich, this is an issue that is tearing the church apart. If you have a nude congregation, do mm. you still have to wear the gown for baptisms? And I put this out on Twitter ahead of today's podcast. And I got to tell you, it's been fascinating watching the votes roll in. I put a poll out on the Twitter, on the Twitter page. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. And it's yeah. been one side is raced ahead and the other side is caught up and they've been tied. And as it stands now, 52% say, no, you do not, in fact, have to wear the gown. Mm. I guess that would represent the grace faction. You're under grace. So if right. you're a nude congregation, you don't have to wear the gown. But I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think? Well, so, I mean, that's where I fall, too. I Honestly, I don't totally understand the baptismal gown to start with. I've never, I've been in multiple churches, multiple denominations, and I have never witnessed a baptismal gown. So I, I apologize that that skews it. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say if you're, if you don't need it, because typically it's just, you're trying to cover up whatever happens whenever clothing gets wet and sticks to somebody. <laughs> but the baptismal gown is white. Right. <laughs> like, what right. is that supposed to do? 
So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that all works out. But I mean, yeah, dark, dark colored T-shirts, I think, is what we typically go with. But if you're already naked, it doesn't none of it matters. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing about nude baptisms is it really everything's left to the imagination. It really does ratchet up the importance of making sure that water is heated. Yes. Before you yeah. climb down into the into the baptismal to to baptize people, because freezing cold baptisms are you the don't worst. Want to be, look, trust me, trust me. You do not want to do freezing cold naked baptisms. <laughs> Everything. I, I don't draw. I don't draw a hard line on very many theological issues, but that's one of them. Mm. Oh my! Uh, what was? All right, so but what what are your I want I want you to argue for like why should a nudist colony incorporate baptismal gowns? Ooh. Make a case for it. Are we doing just the, so we, just we, doing, we have some back and forth. Are we doing the ESPN first take thing where you like you just have to argue the issue? Yeah. It's, just, it's a debate it. club. You got to <laughs> Because it's symbolic. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It's symbolic of, you know, you're wearing something white, you're coming in. Uh, but that doesn't make sense because I guess it, I guess you've, you know, unless you're Church of Christ, you're believing salvation has already occurred prior to the baptism. So coming down in something white would be symbolic of Jesus has already cleansed my sins and forgiven me and I'm white as snow. Mm-hmm. I guess you can make a case for that. That would be an incredible picture if you could find a way to have like a a black baptismal gown that as you go into the water uh, and when you come up out of it it gets washed white that would be cool uh, that i would be cool i would be in favor of that every time you know who else would be in favor of that the front hugger <laughs> the front hugger <laughs> yeah and that's maybe it should go in reverse if you're trying to keep things for for the purity culture i think it needs to be the inverse it's white when you go in that turns black when you come out so that <laughs> whatever whatever gets revealed in the dampening uh, <laughs> the we damp- could probably market that the yeah. dampening that sounds like another christian horror movie <laughs> the dampening that one sounds that one sounds very inappropriate it does, yeah. I don't think we can market that to a Christian audience. Mm-mm. Now, have you ever seen like an obese baptism? Not yes, n- not nude, but like the regular kind. <laughs> not nude. <laughs> Where uh, they have to like bring in like the extra dudes to yeah. like stand on the side to make sure that this person's not going to drown when they my, when they die. My best friend growing up, uh, his his stepdad was named Bubba. <laughs> not a, not a lie, stepdad named Bubba, and Bubba I, got baptized when we were in high school. <laughs> And he weighed, I mean, between 350 and 400 pounds. Mm. Big, big dude. And it took four, I think four or five, like, deacons <laughs> had to come up and help <laughs> lift him in and out. It was it was a, a circus. <laughs> I don't know. At what point do you just say, at what point do you just say, okay, <laughs> full immersion is... <laughs> We're just not, not technically them. necessary for your salvation. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, what would be this place where you just... Uh, what was that? The What's Eating Gilbert Grape movie? Remember that? Uh-huh. Back in the day? And so, like, the mom that couldn't leave the house. Like, couldn't oh, yeah. fit outside the house. Yeah, I think I think you'd have to just go with the sprinkling for her. Yeah, because you really got to be careful if you're one of the deacons that's on the side. Because there's just no... 
there's there's no good angle to to pull like the supersized person back up. You're gonna you're you're pretty much just gonna be lifting with your back regardless. Yeah, the rule: lift with your knees goes out of the out the window <laughs> in an obese baptism. Uh, I think we've covered everything. From have we nude, gone through all our topics? From nude baptisms to fighting wolves to do Christian people have more sex? I, I did want to say before we go, I, didn't, I thought we'd have more time, but uh, I, I it didn't come up organically the way I thought it was going to. But speaking of sanctified sex, <laughs> I have never, I have never experienced as much like audible sexual tension as I experienced between you and your wife in, in the last episode of Fun Sexy Bible Time. It I mean, was. She- she pretty clearly wanted me. She did. I mean, I was I was made uncomfortable <laughs> by your uh, your flirting and your banter. It was it was impressive. Well, I just I, mean, I just got to throw that out there, and that's I think that by itself, your your podcast with your wife uh, should be you know to any and all virginal youth group kids who are pining for something more. You could say, well, well, Rich, you could have this one. Okay. You know, I tried to keep it. I tried to keep it classy, but when you have a homeschool background such as myself, it's just know. it's just very difficult to keep to keep your wife from getting getting carnal, as it were. You were oozing carnality, the both of you. <laughs> That's <laughs> oozing carnality. That sounds like the tagline from your horror movie, The Dampening. <laughs> the Dampening. It will ooze carnality. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, okay. that needs to be written now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, wait, where are we at time-wise? I, I've, I've got one more thing. I think yeah, I go for it. To, Throw it in. So, with the Christian horror movies, I, I didn't get to totally give my pitch. I was thinking about. So, I mean, there's there's lots of different options, but I I think what hasn't been done because I think the go-to with Christian, it's like something about zombies for whatever reason, zombies and Christianity, I think, go together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I want to incorporate vampires. I want to get a good vampire story for Christians. And the thing about vampires, especially, like if you look like in the Anne Rice tradition of vampires, mm-hmm. is that there's this this uh, trouble, this this you're trying to get past the idea that you're living forever, that you, everyone that you've ever loved, you watch die. And like time just goes on and you don't age. Mm-hmm. Like that's the problem. But then when you, you when you hit that with, you know, Christ returning or the rapture or whatever that part of the end times uh, like vampires will like their eternal life will change in some way either for the better or worse so I'm trying to think of, like how to incorporate that like a redemption story into the vampire mythology I think that would be worth doing mm. I'd watch it like a, like a Christian Twilight <laughs> uh, well, not better than Twilight I think but <laughs> A, a Christian, a Christian interview with the vampire, if you will. Okay, all right. Could the vampires be angels? Is that the twist? Oh well, I think that is part of it. I don't know. Depending on the mythology, there's all sorts of different vampire mythology. Or are the vampires mere Methodists? Mere. <laughs> well, so I think you have to. What, however, it started. It's got to. It's got to go back. The origin story for your vampirism can go back to angels. Like that would be a good way to faith base it. Hmm. And then, and then it's just Methodists that are biting each other in fits of rage <laughs> over over, hymn- over the decades over, over hymnal disputes. Yes, yeah. Every every Methodist church split. 
results in, in some new strain of vampirism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Shout out to John Wesley, though. Shout out to John Wesley. John Wesley. Holding it down. Holding it down right. to the Arminian theolo- theologians. Made it made it legitimate a little more so than some other people. Uh, are you subtweeting Benny Hinn right now? You know, I could... Um, um, what's it called when you subtweet in real life? When you just speak about someone? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's called gossip. Yeah, that's probably true. We don't yeah, want to do that. We can we can gossip about Benny Hinn. I mean, he's not a real person. I saw Benny Hinn live once. I went to one of his things. Oh wow! He prophesied over me. Oh wow! Yeah, it didn't come true. <laughs> for for the record. Yeah. So. Well, see, I, I grew up in a charismatic church, so Benny Hinn is right in my right in my wheelhouse as far as stuff like that goes. But, did did your prophecies come true? Uh, no, he did not. In fact, prophesy over me. I was not no. lucky enough for that. But that whole thing of you know, I'm going to tell you what God told me to tell you. Thing mm-hmm. like that's 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 what I grew up in. Well, did, but did anybody ever prophesy over you? Were you ever prophesied about? Uh, I don't remember anything specific other than just like in general, like, you know, you're going to do great things for God, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that Which, worked out. Yeah, fun, sexy Bible time. Yeah. You are a beacon unto the Lord. Yeah. But, you know, even despite growing up like in the, I shouldn't say despite, even growing up in the in the charismatic um, in the background, like I'm not, definitely not like the John MacArthur cessationist, yeah, kind of yeah. guy. Like, I just think like I mean I don't know anything about your theology. I just think it has you gotta have some pretty big balls to stand up there and say, you know, there's nothing. God <laughs> doesn't do that anymore. God yeah. doesn't do that anymore. He <laughs> used to, but God changed his mind, eh. and it's up to me to tell you <laughs> that God doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have some. You gotta have bigger balls than I do to stand up there and say that. Which apparently John MacArthur doesn't have a problem doing. No, and I mean. For many, many reasons, the balls on that guy. I mean, I really don't understand like why he has escaped serious scrutiny because he has said he's so just many- so old. He's just a pillar of everything now. Like it's, but he. I think there is scrutiny, but everybody that that comes at him, you know, they don't. He can just play that like you know older, wiser, like you know, come on, Sonny, you'll get it figured yeah, out these days. He has just said some incredible, like he's made some incredible statements like in the last five to 10 years that like, yeah. um, especially like his strange fire conferences, mm-hmm. like the, just the quotes that came out of that were just incredible. Like he's saying like, well, he's talking about like how charismatics have scandals and he's like, but, but you know, you look at the reform tradition, you know, Calvinists don't have scandals. <laughs> and like right after that, like probably while he was saying that, like, Driscoll did his thing, and then uh, I guess C.J. Mahaney was getting in trouble, and then uh, Tullian got in trouble. Yeah, just uh, it's been a slew. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, just saying that like the charism- like charismatic movement is led by Satan, and like all those people. There's like 50 million charismatics in the world, and they're all going to hell because they're led by Satan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, John. <laughs> That's a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> Cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's, that's part of it, too. So you have, like, the old age, and you have the authority and wisdom and experience, like, you can draw back on. But then also, like, he's getting more and more senile. It's happening with Piper, too. I don't know if you noticed that as much. but Yeah, he's, he's got a, he's got a habit of putting the foot in really losing it, though. I mean, like, because they're, you know, in their younger years, like, they say some stuff, and you're like, ah, that might be a little bit off base. But, like, as they get older and, you know, less, like, more unquestionable in their authority. Okay, I've got a, I've got a theory about that as it was, as it as it uh, pertains to specifically Calvinists. I think when guys get old like that, when Calvinists get old like that, I think part of what makes them go bad is they retreat from the world, mm. is they retreat from sinners. And you look at a guy like John MacArthur, like when is the last time that he talked to somebody that wasn't a Christian that was hurting? Mm. Yeah. I just feel like he, you know, and I don't know, I don't know him personally, but I feel like he is, that's sort of the archetype of like the the reformed theologian that just barricades themselves inside the church and inside the sure. world of theology. And I really do think that there's you lose something when you do that. You just sort of become very brittle and angry about things because you've lost touch with sinners and you know the great commission of what God told us to do. I think you've hit it on the head, Matthew. I think that absolutely sounds true and as much as those two guys specifically that we named piper and macarthur not to call anyone out but those two guys specifically <laughs> uh i mean as much as they write as much as like as prolific as they are in in words and speaking and all that stuff like you don't they don't have time like you look at their calendar where would they even fit in like a chance to hang out with somebody i think it all comes back to your idea of atonement too like that's the fulcrum mm-hmm. which everything you know, balances off of that. You know, if you believe in limited atonement, you, you, you're more free to do that. But, you know, the, the downfall of the Arminians is the opposite. That, you know, if you believe in unlimited atonement, you're not going to spend very much time on theology. You're going to get out there in the world. And then when the Arminian guys go bad, it's because they don't have enough theology and they just get crazy like Benny Hinn. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're calling for balance and moderation in all things, Matthew. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? <laughs> Yeah, so if the church could just be as balanced as I am, it'd be... <laughs> yeah, it's a centrist position, if you will. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's sort of the tension that, you know, we've always had and probably always will have between theology and evangelism, that it's just really hard to get that right. It is. It's shockingly hard to get right. I don't know. We should just be able to figure this stuff out. It should... I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I have noticed, though, is it, it really does, like, whatever your church, you know errors on the side of usually comes down to atonement like you know what do you think about atonement because mm-hmm. you know the, the calvinists believe that it's sort of already been set so and it's not to say the calvinists don't do evangelism but i mean just being honest like if you believe it's already been said you're probably not going to put as much of a importance on it as somebody that believes in unlimited atonement I agree. I think I think you have put as much thought into that as I have put into the theology of horror movies. <laughs> and then we combine the two and Ooh. we get the dampening. And we get the dampening. <laughs> Rich Cook, thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Matthew Pierce, I appreciate you and everything that you do and all the fun, sexy Bibleness <laughs> that you brought to this. <laughs> fun, sexy Bibleness. That's a, I like that. It's a verb. <laughs> I, I just don't really see him as a Baptist either, despite his love of meat.
wishing their lady blessings. Jeez, Leonardo. I mean, you're a friggin' teenage turtle. Like, lighten up, dude.